to the Wolf Whistle, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to the 37th edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. We've got a player today who played for Wolves in 1994, eight games on loan, two goals, Paul Stewart. He's actually on a walk at the minute, so he said it was a brilliant time to call him. Paul, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you, Jase. Very well. Good, good, good. Now, Paul, um, obviously you've got a, you know, a, a very interesting story to, to say the least what how i normally lead people in is is, is you know that how they got into football but with you i'm going to sort of do it the other way around so yeah. you played for blackpool from 81 to, to 87 yeah. then man city from 87 uh to 88 yeah. um i mean what was your time like at, at, at those two clubs at blackpool and man city well i'd say at blackpool i learned the trade um we were playing in the lower divisions, I think we got re-elected one season, but um, I always thought that I'd have a better chance of breaking into the team younger at a club in the lower divisions rather than um, going as a, a youngster to United or City, which obviously I had the opportunity to do so because it was my hometown. But I was just thinking about how I would break into the team, whether I would break into the team. So I chose Blackpool because of where they were in the league and the hope that I would I would get into the team at a younger age, which at 17, I made my debut. Wow, wow. I mean, and it, obviously you was there for six years, then you obviously yeah. made the move to Man City. Um, where was you born, Paul? I was born in Winnichar in Manchester. So was Man City. So you, was you red or blue? I was red. Oh. <laughs> but what I will say is I didn't advertise that when I joined Man City because it would have been more than my life's worth. So my time at City I never mentioned at all that I was uh, that I was a red and that I my brother used to take me and uh, stand in the strap and paddock when I was when I was really young to watch uh, Manchester United. Which I thought was quite prudent, but I have, I have since uh, admitted that, so it's not a revelation. Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, to be honest, you've probably done the right thing, keeping it quiet. But then, <laughs> you certainly did. Now, you look, you got a great move to Spurs. You was at Spurs from '88 yeah. to '92, um, and it, it was at that time you also broke into the England squad. But you played in the 1991 FA Cup final. Now, this is every young man's dream, Paul. The 91 yeah. FA Cup final. Um, it was Forest 1, Spurs 2. You got on the score sheet as well. I mean, yep. what what feeling is that scoring at Wembley in an FA Cup final? Well, I think you alluded to it prior uh, to the questioning, saying that it's every young youngster's dream, certainly if they want to be a footballer, to play in a cup final. And we have to remember that the FA Cup was a trophy that was really... Uh, a trophy that clubs wanted to win and players wanted to win and play in in them games. So I was like no other youngster I wanted to hopefully one day play at Wembley 
scoring would have been a bonus, which I managed to do, but it, you sort of realise your dreams, um, which I did, and it really did turn out uh, a good day or a great day, and some great memories from it. I mean, you know, getting. I mean, you scored in the 55th minute. Um, it must be. That's right. It must be. It must be such a buzz. Um, and then, I mean, you well, played. you know what? Do you know what we? Sorry, we we're just going to say to you, Jace. Go on. Um, before before we scored, we'd had a goal given offside. It wasn't offside. Yeah. Um, Gaza went off injured. Pearson scores an unbelievable goal in the top corner and you might well have been forgiven for saying that old adage that your name's not on the cup yeah. but we managed to to pull a goal back and I think from then on we were a stronger team and, and it looked that only one team was going to win it which we did albeit by a uh, an own goal from Des <laughs> well yeah yeah obviously Des Des got the last goal and it was obviously Pierce that scored for Forrest. I mean, yeah. in the side um, at Spurs you played with, Gazza and Lineker. I mean, what, what were those players like to play with, Paul? Well, I would say, for me, Gazza was, in the 90s, the best player on the planet. Yes. Uh, in my opinion. You look at, I scored against Blackpool in the first round proper, as they call it. In, uh, in January, which started our cup run. But I think most people, and quite rightly now, look at it and say, well, Gaza single-handedly probably took us all the way to the final. He scored a great, great goal that gets repeated, and rightly so, against Arsenal in the semis at Wembley. And yeah. it was so, so unfortunate that um, he made the rash challenges that he did and ended up uh, injuring himself. As far as Gary Lineker goes, you know, I was fortunate enough in my career to play with what I would say the two best strikers of their generation. You might throw in Bully, but I played up front with um, Ian Rush and Gary Lineker. Wow. And, they, you know, for me, the two of them were, were probably the best goal scorers of my generation so you know I, I, I was fortunate in my career to right. played oh. alongside some greats certainly Paul now that, that that cup final obviously going back to Gaza how pumped yeah. up was he for it because when he come out onto the pitch we know he done that that challenge which sadly put back his eventually put back yeah. his move to Lazio but yeah. he, he, he was just like a bull at a gate when he come out on that pitch was he pumped up in the dressing room was he just was he just mad you know, do you know what I think you know every, it's a question that not just I get asked but a lot of former Spurs players of that era that played on that day Gaza was always pumped up for games you know that he he was in the changing rooms pumped up pumped up on the pitch but that wasn't just for the cup final you know he was he was that type of character so for us, I don't think we thought that there was anything different than any other game, apart from the fact it was a cup final, obviously, but the way Gaza was, every game, he wanted to win, yeah. and he was pumped up for. Wow, wow. And then, uh, Paul, you got a, a huge move to Liverpool. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, 
you're you're a red, a Manchester red. Um, I mean, yeah. how how proud was you of signing for such a? I mean, Spurs, Man City, huge clubs, but yeah. to play for Liverpool once again, yeah. you know, well, at the, big move. At the at the time, Jace as well, they were still revered as one of the biggest clubs in the uh, world. Yes. When you're a young lad and you're talking about making it as a professional. Then Liverpool Football Club is a club that you, you know you would associate with making it. For all intents and purposes, it was a dream move because I was moving back up north. Um, it was a, a massive club and had broken to the uh, England settled prior. So yeah. on paper, it was a dream and I would have walked on broken glass. To, uh, to play for Liverpool, but as you know, and probably a question you're going to ask, it's uh, it didn't quite work out for me for all sorts of reasons. I mean, like you said, you broke into the England team under Graham Taylor, uh, three caps yeah. for England between '91 and '92, and you'd also played yeah. for the England B and under 21. Yeah. And we, yeah. talk, we talk about pride. There, there can be no prouder moment in your career than, than wearing those three lines on your chest, Paul. I don't think there is for anyone, um, despite, you know, the lack of success that we've had as a nation, still putting that England shirt on fills you full of pride and, and again, it's what you dream of as a child, isn't it? It's, uh, if you want to be a footballer, you dream of winning trophies, winning cup finals and playing for your country. Yeah. And I was no different, I was just, you know, I was boosting with pride, that's where my family too, who were there to see it. Wow, wow. And, uh, you know, throughout your career, you was obviously recognised as a striker early on and you had a fantastic goal scoring record by the way, Paul, but you did move back yeah. to the field as well, didn't you? Yeah, no, you know, and I read conflicting reports, so I always try to put it straight because everybody seems to be under the impression that it was a, a genius tactical move <laughs> by, by Terry Venables when the actual truth behind it was it was pure luck. What happened was we played, um, I think, Luton Town and had a couple of players sent off. I had started up front with Lineker. We needed somebody to sit back in midfield to help them out. Now, it was all the will in the world you're not going to get Gary Lineker to do that. So I was the the obvious choice. I went back into midfield, scored two goals. We won the game. The next, very next game, we had another person sent off. And it was out of me and Gary again to go into midfield. And I went into midfield and got man of the match. Wow. And from then on, Terry kept me alongside Paul in midfield. I thought... This is the easiest gig in the world because all I need, all I need to do is get the ball, pass it to Gaza, he'll do some magic, and all of a sudden people are saying, "Oh, that Paul Stewart's not a bad player." But I believe that playing alongside Paul made it much easier for me um, as a midfield player. I mean. Did you feel more pressure playing as a striker or a midfielder? Because as a striker, you judged on oh. your goals. And if you have a goal rate, yeah. everybody knows. Yeah. And to be honest with you, they bought me to score goals. And in the first season, I only managed 12. I mean, that's which a great wasn't a good return. Risk. 
I mean, well, you no, have no. to do that today, Paul. Yeah, and they, they may well be happy with it today, but in my era, you know, if they pay that. Sorry. Can you hear me still? Yeah, Jay? yeah, I can hear you perfectly, Paul. Yeah, it, back in my day, they wanted 20, 25 goals a season if they paid that sort of money. I mean, yes. for one day, I think I became the most expensive transfer. Wow. Uh, until the next day when Gaza. Uh, <laughs> and Gaza signed for Tottenham, so I held it for one day. But you know, your expected returns, and you're quite right. There's a pressure on you that you don't have when you play in midfield. Yes. And and you know, I suppose Gaza got you off the hook, then didn't he? With uh, with that 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 price tag. Yeah, in in, in many t in many ways, yeah, <laughs> in many ways he certainly did. But you know what? I was I was then still a good trainer. Yeah. If I uh, if it wasn't working out, I didn't give up. I tried to put 110 percent in. So, along with Gaza probably helping immensely, I still had that work ethic to 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 want to succeed. Yes, yes, yes. Then, so whilst at Liverpool, you know, if you're angry, you said it didn't work out. You had a loan spell to place. Yeah. Then the biggest yep. move of them all come, where you come yep. on loan to the mighty Wolves, um, two goals in eight games, the goals were against Tramia yep. and, and Luton. Um, I mean, from your point of view, Paul, um, you you know, you you played for massive clubs. I'm sure you got to Wolves yep. and we got the new stadium. And I mean, could you see yep. how big the club was then? Yeah, I mean, um, I knew prior to going, you know, it, it, on paper it was a great loan move for me with a view to a permanent signing right. what happened was I got injured against Tranmere in a challenge with with Eric Nixon I think it was the goalkeeper at the yeah. time I did my ligaments and I did my ankle ligaments and uh, do you know what it was never quite right I wanted to keep playing on it I couldn't really and shouldn't have done I should have gone back to Liverpool yes. wow. got treatment treatment and come back but that said Graham Taylor did offer me a contract um, and he had agreed um, personal terms yeah and then we played against Derby in I think it was my last game televised and I was I was struggling with it with my injury and the next day I just got the call saying that the deal's off oh. and they signed Don, Go Don, Don Goodman Oh, right. So, so that that left a bit of a bit of taste, not not from the Wolves fans, but from what Graham Taylor had done to me. You know, we'd we'd shook on a deal, we'd agreed everything, wow. and then within a day, I get the call from uh, Steve Harrison, his assistant, to say, "Gaffer wants to see you." And I went up, and he said, "Look, we're not doing the deal." So I went, I, I just said, if that's how you do business, then it's probably better that I didn't sign for you and walked out. But I, I, won't, I won't lie to you, I was devastated because you just have to go around the ground and live near the, in, in the black country to see the absolute um, passion yeah. of the uh, supporters of the club. You don't need me to tell you that. I mean... Paul, you know, Graham Taylor must have had a lot of faith in you. He gave you three caps for England. He knew what sort of player he was. He knew he was quite versatile in as much as 
you know, you could be a striker or midfield player. And I think she was fitting into the ethos of a player with Premier League experience that could hopefully take us to the top flight. Um, yeah. So you'd obviously been, been as disappointed as anyone. But but what was your relationship like with Graham Taylor? Like I said, he'd give you an England debut and, you know, he'd obviously took you to But well, you know what? It, it was good. Um, I, I had no problem with Taylor, apart from... You know, the fact that he then offered me a contract, we'd agreed on everything, as I said to and alluded to before. Yeah. And then on the back of one game, when I was playing with an injury, yeah. um, he pulled the deal away. Wow. So, for me, for me, I think I got sweet revenge because I went up to Sunderland, um, managed to help them get promotion, but uh, during that time played against... Watford and got man of the match in the Coca-Cola Cup final and I would say it was one of my better games but the drive was of what he'd done to me at uh, Wolves so yeah. I feel that I, I feel that I answered um, him the best way I could by uh, by putting the performance in I did oh, of course you could now, some of the players you played with at Wolves David Kelly, Steve Froggy, Jeff Thomas, yeah. obviously Bully. I mean, what what was that team like? Probably because for, for Wolves fans, it was a team which was on paper more than good enough to take us to the top flight. But we never. And it must have been frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been frustrating for you because you know you'd named players there that would have played in other top divisions, wouldn't they? And, yeah. and done well. But do you know what? It, you know what I think it was. I think a little bit was the pressure yeah. from the fans that demanded success. Yes. They've been starved of success. Yeah. And do you know what? It takes a certain kind of individual, no matter how good you are, to be able to walk out on that pitch, perform, when there's a lot of pressure on you, yeah. whether that be from the fans or, you know, from the board. I think Jack Haywood had, had clearly... Um, put his intentions down and did everything he could possibly do to try and get the, uh, the club promoted. And I, when I look back, I, I think maybe it was just them players might have just missed that that final ingredient, which which makes you succeed at a club where yeah. there's high expectations. And, 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 and I'm not I'm not disrespecting anyone there, but I couldn't I couldn't see why they didn't succeed yes. you know and that that you know when you analyze it as you get older maybe that's the final ingredient that was missing and and, and you're quite right paul the expectations at the club were huge it was a huge club yeah. had, there was quite a resurgence where we'd come back up the leagues we, we'd built this fantastic stadium we'd spent big money and as wolves fans we just knew it, there was one final hurdle that we couldn't get across so could, was that weighing down on you i mean yes you was at the club for eight games but could you see weighing down on the other players the you know the expectation so. levels? I, I think so, but uh, you know that's only with this older head on now. Yes. And look at looking back um, at the individuals that were at the club, and then trying to analyse why they couldn't, you know, go that one more step yes. and get promoted into the. Uh, into the Premiership or the old First Division, whichever you want to call it. And yeah. I think, I think the, I mean, it wasn't unlike a little bit when I was at Man City. Man City had a great following, as did, did Wolves and do Wolves. 
and they were always under the shadow of Man United, even though they had some great players in David White, Paul Simpson, uh, Paul Lake, you know, but they didn't quite make it to the top, uh, the top for whatever reason, and I think that expectation wasn't unlike the one that uh, was at Wolves, because you used to go away with uh, Wolves, and they take 10, 15,000, wherever it was. Yeah. You know, no, no, nobody else apart from Manchester City have I seen ever do that. Wolves have, have always had a, a huge away following, Paul. Um, and in fact, it's quite interesting you say that, because I've spoke to a few players, and I won't name names, who said... Yeah. It was it was a bit of a cauldron at Molyneux, and they used yeah. to enjoy playing away. But then they got to the away games, and <laughs> and in some circumstances, there was more away fans than home fans. He said so. The pressure didn't even go on away games. I know, and that's that's why I, I say to you, you know, about that having that one final ingredient. Yeah. That takes you up into that that that, that next level, and uh, you know the expectation was there from the Wolves fans at home and you saying about players rather playing away from home probably solidifies what I uh, what I said to you before about it. And, and look, you've, you've mentioned some of the players you played with, Gary Lineker, Ian Rush. <sighs> now, obviously I don't want to, you know, compare, but, but yeah. how, how good was Steve Ball? Well, he was just a goal machine, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, technically, you would say... He wasn't the most technical, but yeah. like Lineker, like Rush, it was not having that net to to be in the right place at the right time, but then hitting the target and scoring the goal. Yes. Now, you pay fortunes for that, and Steve Bull was up there with the best at doing that. Technically, as I say, I don't think, and I think he probably has said it himself, that he wasn't the most gifted in terms of skill-wise on the ball, but give him a chance, mate, and you knew you were 1-0 up. Yeah, completely. And that, you, can't, you can't buy that, can you, Jez? You, you, you can't. I mean, in the early years, Steve Ball used to get criticised for his first touch, but his second touch was yeah. the back of the net, so he didn't, exactly. didn't really matter. Exactly. And, and if memory serves me, Paul, didn't you sign for Wolves at the same time as Mark Walters? Didn't you come, on, come from Liverpool together almost? Um... I don't think I did. I, I can't remember, but I don't think so. I only remember being there on my uh, yeah, on my own. But I'm, sure. I'm getting Jace. I'm 55 now, so <laughs> yeah. I do well. To, I do well to remember last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it, mate. You said it. So obviously, then you went on to Sunderland, Stoke. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, do you think in the end? Paul, you, you, you was you was maybe seen as a player that that, that would would try and get players, uh, sorry, try and get clubs promoted. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I mean, I had that experience in in terms of taking Palace up, and then, well, when I say taking, what being being the final piece in the jigsaw they needed yeah. to get the job over the line. Same at Sunderland, and you know, I I, I did have premiership experience so I was more because the teams that I went to were often great teams but were young players in that needed that little bit of a cool head when the going gets tough and I think that's what managers um, saw in me 
um, and knew that, you know, I was a good trainer. I was a fairly good professional uh, in terms of looking after myself. And, and I think that, that the whole package was what they wanted me in, the, in and around the club for. Yes, yes. Now, um, I, the reason normally I talk about uh, people's youth football first, and, and but with you, I've, yeah. I've, I've come to the end, Paul. Um, yeah. Now, in, 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 in August 2017, you brought out a book called Damaged. Um, That's right. Now, in, in November 2016, you, you, you very, very bravely come out uh, 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 as a victim of, of, of child sex abuse. Um, now, yeah. I've got to be honest, Paul, I haven't planned any questions for this because I've planned all the football questions and I've got them right down in front of me. But yeah, I, 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 am, I am... Sorry, go on. I understand, Jase. It's, yeah. um, it's not a subject that, that, that people in general would feel comfortable talking about. Um, you know, it was a big step for me to come forward in November 2016, but... I just felt that um, the story needed to be told and, and it was more that I played for some of the biggest clubs in the country that I knew that the nation would stand up, listen and that I'd be thrust into all the newspapers, all the media, yeah. all, the, all, all the TV. So I wanted to make sure that it didn't go away, it didn't get brushed under the carpet, and uh, I knew there was countless other victims just from my abuser alone, so all them contributing factors was a reason why I spoke up in 2016. Now, the word brave, and you know, hero gets mentioned an awful lot, but I don't see it like that. I wish that I could have spoke up many, many years ago, uh, had the bravery and courage to do that then, and perhaps I would have been able to save a lot of youngsters going through the same ordeal that I went, went through. So, you know, for me, I wish I'd had that courage that I had in 2016, 20 years ago. Look, Paul, you come out and, 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 and with these... Uh, this terrible, terrible story at the age of 51. You, yeah. You've, you've carried that burden throughout your life. Well, I say the word burden, I don't know what word to use. You've carried that throughout your life, throughout your football career. You've achieved so much, you played for your country. But that pales into insignificance with what you went through. But to achieve it is almost even more remarkable, knowing that yeah, there was only you. I mean, was it only you that knew, Paul? Effectively, yeah, in terms of, you know, you just kept it inside and didn't tell anyone. Yeah. No, I didn't tell anyone. I thought when I uh, when I came forward to that, you know, I generally thought that I was going to take it to my grave. Um, I had major struggles with it, mental health-wise, drinking drugs-wise, you know, the, the, the inability to show empathy and love. All them things were the the sort of onset of the of the issue I went I went through. So despite the fact that I played at the top and, and had the career I had, didn't come without uh, a price and I think you know when I look at it the price was too heavy. 
Wow, wow. And, you know, when, in November 2016, when you, you, you did tell the story and you did lay it all out very, very honestly yeah. and openly, did it feel like a, a weight from your shoulders or did it feel like, I, 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 you know, how did it feel? Yeah. I, I can't, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was difficult in terms of straight away, which... I knew would happen. I was, I was dragged from pillar to post to speak on TV, to do media interviews, you know, radio papers. So for the initial first, say, four or five weeks, I didn't have time to sit down and think, Jace, about what impact it was having on me uh, mentally. Um, when it... When it... Sorry, one second. You, you okay, Paul? When it, yeah, when it when it died down, I had to chance to to look at what I'd done, to try and assess what I'd done, and then and then look at well, what do you want to what do you want to achieve from this? It wasn't the notoriety of being of course. in the papers and media. It was in the hope that I could help others um, who have gone through the same. That's what I'd gone through, and who didn't have a platform or a voice to to speak up about it. So that was the underlying reason. But also, I wanted to try and look and see if there was a possibility that perhaps for the next 20 years of my life, I may be able to get some solace and get some some enjoyment after years and years of suicidal thoughts drink drugs you know the inability to even on my own children cuddle them love them wife as well you know all them things i wanted to in the hope that that nobody else goes through that and wow. you know over the last over the last three years i now talk at academies um, to coaches staff players parents raising awareness of safeguarding the importance of it. I work in schools. So for that reason, me talking about it on a daily basis has eased the pain a little. But when you've locked something up for 42 years and block it away, it unfortunately isn't like switching a light on enough, Jace. Um, it takes time. Um, it's a, a process of recovery. But what I do now is I manage the bad days an awful lot better rather than turning to substances or drink or, or the, the thoughts of suicide and all that. I manage to, to um, contain that a lot, a lot better than I did well, prior to me uh, coming forward. I mean, that, that's, that's amazing to hear, Paul. I mean, it, it must be... Like I said, to, to, to that step to, 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 to you know, we've used the word brave, but that step to telling people and for all to come out. But ultimately then, I suppose it, 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 it doesn't change the fact that you can't change what's happened, if that makes sense. No, so, and you, no I can't. And, and, and in some ways, you know, or sometimes I feel that I've lost my identity as a former footballer because... People recognise me now more for 
coming forward in 2016, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you were to Google me before 2016, it would have said the clubs they play for, what have achieved. Now you do it and it goes straight into the um, the abuse that I suffered mm-hmm. as a child and, and the effects of that abuse. I mean, but that price I'll take. Look, Paul, what you've done is is, is, is quite remarkable and it is, it is brave. You know, I, I, look, I'll just give you my opinion on it. It is brave yeah. to come out and say, because, the, the, uh, you know, there must be other people who still haven't told and still can't tell or still haven't found the strength or what, whatever that it takes to, 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 to come out with it. You know, there must be. But were you quite surprised on how many people subsequently did come out as a result of... of, of do you know what? I knew that um, my abuse and abuse countless others. I knew that for a fact. Um, I won't lie to you and say I was shocked at the tsunami of individuals that came forward. Um, I've recently completed a, uh, a docuseries film which goes, it's a worldwide, you know, in, in athletics and swimming. So it wasn't just. Yes confined to football yeah. but I, I won't lie to you I was shocked at how many had suffered at the hands of these individuals yeah I mean but you must take great pride in as much as you speaking out did encourage others to speak out and also you know what, what I didn't I think it's more over yeah I agree with you there but I just wanted I wanted to you know to to let people know that it's okay to speak out, but also yeah. I wanted them not to go through the life I've been through um, and hopefully address it sooner rather than later. Unfortunately, we've lost some, some colleagues that couldn't take the, uh, the, the, the effects of the abuse and, and, and sadly ended their lives. I want them, hopefully, to give people that platform, yeah. whether it's to speak to a loved one, speak to a doctor, speak to somebody, yes. and maybe put the life back together because the, the, the awful statistics are that people that have been abused either go down the drug route, go down the drink, go down the criminal route, or sadly end their life. And I was hoping that by speaking forward, I could prevent that happening in some cases. And, and, and that, on that day, when you're 51 years of age, what what was the trigger? Yeah. Because you must have been thinking for years, shall I tell people, shall I not tell people? You, you've said you've gone I, to the... I, I, I'd never considered telling anyone, uh, Steve. I read a small article in a newspaper, and it was uh, a young... Well, it was a, an older lad, but had been abused when he was younger, and he hadn't played at the top level. And I thought... I'm, I really have a duty to speak up now because tomorrow everyone will have forgot that story and thrown it in the bin and they'll be reading another newspaper. So really to support him for being brave enough to first come forward. And I knew that if I said it because of the clubs and playing for the country, then it would make big news. And as it did, because I think it was the hot the most high profile to come forward, it really did spark events that I think were, uh, were really unpredictable or unpredicted um, 
in, 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 in football. You know, I mean, football it really rocked the game. Massively. I mean, look, Paul, and this is me. Yeah. You know, for what it's worth, it's, it's me speaking here. What you did was remarkable. It was, it was brave. And you know, it, 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 it gives people as well. It gives people that strength uh, to come out, and I'm sure yeah. it has also prevented and stopped countless cases. And and you know, but more importantly, Paul, how, how are you now? Uh, um, as I think I alluded to before, I you know, I still have dark days. I won't lie to you, but I manage them. Um, better now, you know. I'm not. My first thing isn't. My first thought isn't to go and hit the bottle yeah. to get drugs to to lock myself away and not and not to communicate with anyone to did. So, you know, I'd love to be able to say that life's a bowl of cherries every day, but. That isn't normal life anyway, so, no. you know, I, I, still have dark, I still have dark days, guys, but life's a lot better now than it was prior to me speaking out. I think the reality is, Paul, as well, look, I'm a, I'm a supporter, I'd have give, I'd have give my bloody arms and legs to have kicked the ball for one day professionally, and I think we all put these players on a pedestal, and they all live in big houses, and they all yeah. drive big cars, and they've all got yeah. no problems, and they've all got a beautiful yeah. wife, and they don't have the yeah. problems we have. But yeah. the reality is, they do. They are skin and bones, and they've got the same um, thought processes as we have. They've got the same, that the, the, you know, they're susceptible to the same problems. And if, in your yeah. case, you know, problems that, that that only a minority will face, fortunately. But it, 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 it's, you know, and, and and suppose maybe that's why it, why it took so long, Paul, to, to, yeah. to you know, because you, you have got to. You've almost got that persona to keep. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, you know you're exactly right when you talk about players. Do you know what they are? They're just normal lads yeah. that grew up with an ability to to play football, and were paid a lot of money to do it. But when you strip them back, they're no different than you and I. No, it's no different whatsoever, and they they struggle with the same issues. And you're right. What's portrayed of them sometimes is this glamour, glitzy lifestyle. Don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic lifestyle playing football, doing something that you loved and getting paid for it. But that doesn't mean you still don't have issues um, because you're not infallible. And we're not infallible. Of course. And so I take it, Paul, then you enjoy your walking. Do you walk a lot? I've started doing since lockdown. Unfortunately, my wife has been really poorly. I know. Um, over the last few months, so I have been taking care of her. But now she's getting stronger and stronger each That's day. Good. I started about five weeks ago doing six mile a day, just to get well, for my own mental health, but also to get some exercise, Jase. Because I know, I know Dean Windass and uh, Mark Crossley. Yeah. They're part of a. They've got an initiative called Walking's Brilliant, and I know they do a lot of walking. Yeah. It, do, it clearly does yeah. help with mental health. But I, you I, know, you think you think about an awful lot of things, and and you know, you can put things more into perspective when you have that uh, hour and a half, hour forty-five to um, to just clear your head, clear your mind, and once you've done it, you do feel better. Wow. 
I mean, you didn't feel better. I don't. Think, I would advocate it. I don't think Mark Crossley though would be too happy with you going for a walk with him, being as you ping that one past him in the '91 Cup final. I know. I don't think he will, will he? But I'm sure. I'm sure we can uh, let the past be the past. <laughs> and, and Paul, you know, you sound really positive and upbeat today. Obviously, which is fantastic. Yeah. Are you positive for the future? You know, what plans have you got? I mean, you're doing all well, this great work. Yeah, and that and that's that's what I'm positive for. You know, before before the pandemic hit, I'd been um, asked by the EFL to to deliver workshops to all the EFL clubs, you know, scheduling that in. So that gives me a chance to to go again and raise awareness of the yeah. issue, but also educate people around it. Yeah. What I didn't want to do, Chase, uh, was just go into clubs, tell them my story, which is quite harrowing, as you know, and then come away without them getting anything from it. So yeah. my, sto- my story, whilst I did tell it, I I bring an education side into it, having studied safeguarding at the highest level, wow. mental health. So I try to make sure that we take some away from every session I do. And, and I think fortunately now, it's, it is better than ever. The clubs have got safeguarding uh, officers yeah. and departments. Yep. And they've got so many people now at a great expense, which is... To, to, to cover these areas so importantly yeah. but obviously which you didn't have the chance to go to when you was growing up but now there is yeah, safeguarding wasn't a word when I was growing up nobody ever mentioned it it was almost uh, you know abuse was swept under the carpet and as, as we've seen with Jimmy Savile and other high profile cases you know people got away with absolute murder but I think now we are we are combating the ways in which these people can access our children, but we have to be mindful and not get complacent because the harder we're working to yeah. stop them, the harder they're working to try and access our children because it's not an illness, it's not, you can't give them a tablet and it goes away, so they're always going to try to access our children so we have to be on our toes and evolve we have to evolve constantly Jason of course I mean Paul what you're doing like I said is, is absolutely fantastic the steps you're making and there's no pun intended because you're on this walk <laughs> the, the, the steps you're making is huge you do sound in good spirits you, from my point yep. of view you're very brave and Thank I, you. I, I'm so I'm so glad really you got the opportunity to under under horrible circumstances but you got the opportunity to find the the strength to do it and the solace that you're getting now more importantly Paul so that's brilliant well listen Paul I've done I've done really tens of these podcasts and that really was the the deepest I've gone it was the you know like I said I didn't even plan questions for that part of it I didn't know what to ask if I could ask and you was very honest at the start of the interview and we had a quick chat for five ten minutes before and you said Jay can ask me anything and and, and that's testament to you Paul thank you Jay well thank Thank you you. enjoy your walk Paul Um, thanks for your time I will I'm I'm here any time mate what I was going to say Paul actually how important is it because mental that's what I was going to end on sorry mental health is is, 
mental health, people are struggling, especially in the lockdown. Yeah. How important yeah. is it to speak out and if you need it, get help? Mate, we use a word in um, in football an awful lot called class. We always say class goal, class strike. He's a class player. Well, I learned something about the word class. And if you break it down, it's communicate, listen, assess, support and signpost. They're all the things that you need to do to help each other's mental health. So don't be afraid to approach someone and ask them are they okay. Make sure you listen and make sure you have the right body language. Assess what you think the issue may be and in case you need to escalate it. Support them by saying, we'll have a chat again in tomorrow for five minutes and then signpost them to the areas where they can get help. So I think for football, for me now, I'm going to try and instill this word class and people always remember what it does stand for, the mental well-being. Well, Paul, very, very wise and deep words. Thank you for your time today, Paul. Thank you for being so honest. Pleasure. And hey, you know what? Thank you for playing for our great club, Paul, because you didn't let anyone down when you played for us. You always give 100%. Thank you. And you're still fondly remembered. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, Jase. You take care. Enjoy your walk, mate. Bye-bye now. Ta-ra, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.